privilege to introduce uh, Joel McGill. Um, Joel is leading a movement called All America, um, which is a movement of gospel proclamation um, that is working to, as the name would suggest, reach all of America. And so um, Joel and I have just been getting to know each other. We met last um, October and we've just been growing in a relationship since then. And it's a real honor to have Joel with us. This is exciting. Thank you, uh, Jonathan, for the invitation and be able to spend some time with you and such uh, exciting times we're in right now. Uh, we, I, I call uh, often, it seems like the, the great and terrible day of the Lord every day. It's like we have this unbelievable uh, outpouring, and, and, and I felt it immediately, even as the pandemic began, there was this invitation for intimacy. There was this invitation for this fast that God was inviting us into, and I felt like this, uh, it's like a mandatory sabbatical for so many, uh, and many didn't get that, and their world's uh, we're, we're in uh, chaos. And so you have this constant tension, I feel like in my heart, it's, there's this sweetness and enjoyability of, of what's going on. And yet at the same time, these uh, horrific uh, things that are happening in our midst. And uh, my sense is, as I prayed, is that's only going to increase. Um, and so it really becomes real when we talk about consider it all joy when we face trials and tribulations. And so anyway, in this very exciting time, I'm just grateful to get to spend some time uh, here with you. And uh, Jonathan's told me uh, I have a window of time. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to slow down my speech a bit because I just remembered I'm being translated. So it, yeah, many things running through my head, but as hey, we- Hey, Joel, just really quick. You don't really need to slow down because Jackie is super good. So just speak normally and she'll, she'll, she'll be nailing it. Oh, thank you. I'm just, I, as a missionary myself, I, I just love the translators and I want to make sure I minister to their, their heart. It's a very challenging uh, position. So yeah, as Jonathan said, um, you know, we didn't have anything else to do. So we thought we'd try to reach every single person in America with, you know, prayer, compassion, evangelism, Bible engagement, and Christian community. So we thought, you know, sounds like a good thing to do. Um, we, uh, about four years ago, a man that I've worked with for 17 years was woken in the middle of the night uh, with a word reprieve. Uh, we had been spending a lot of our efforts on the rest of the world, on getting to the last people groups on earth that have never heard about Jesus, and the word reprieve that he received was related to America, that there was a reprieve available uh, for America, a season of time to repent before judgment. And so that really sent us into a spin to say, well, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to engage America? What is, a, you know, what, what is that reprieve and what does repentance look like? Uh, in this hour. And so we went on a journey of prayer and really getting before the Lord related to that. And what we felt was, is that a lot of our work with the unreached was going to be relevant to America and that God was calling the church to repent and embrace a missional 
lifestyle and strategy to reach every single person in America by praying for them and by engaging them. And that that would be at some level of repentance as opposed to just saying, I repent, uh, you know, or having an event. It was, what if we went after every single person comprehensively and we measured it to make sure no one was missing? So that's all America. It's a crazy idea. Lots of people have tried it. And somehow uh, that, you know, in this hour, God is giving the urgency. When I was first invited into it, I was like, I do not want to work in America again, to be honest. I was just not excited. You know, just to be very frank with you, my attitude at the time was like, we probably need judgment. You know, let's light a match, burn the thing down, start over. Like, maybe that's that's a good way to go. Where's the Babylonians? I don't know. I just thought to myself, you know, to sit and listen to these Americans ourselves talk about how amazing we are. That's our spiritual gift to the world and how everybody should be like us. Meanwhile, decade upon decade, we're in decline uh, you know, the place is on fire. And meanwhile, we spend a lot of time talking about how amazing our music is, right? Or how amazing our sermon series we just did was, or how many people we got in our churches, uh, which is comparatively smaller and smaller of our, our population. So I was not motivated. I was very much uh, negative about this whole thing. And then I live in Kansas City, uh, I walked down, I didn't walk, I walked into the prayer room uh, over here. And as I was sitting in the prayer room, wrestling with my heart related to America, God um, gave me a picture of a, a giant tanker, like an ocean liner on the ocean, and it was vertical in the water, right? And I, I don't know if I'm not much of like a a, you know, a, a captain of a ship or something. I've never really done that, but I, I, I know that that's not a good sign, right? I've seen Titanic, right? That's, that's about it. And so when I saw that picture, I thought, okay, that's a weird one. And the Lord challenged me. He said, do you believe that I can make the ship shoot out of the water, land on the, on it and be better than it was before? Do you believe that? And I was like, well, I guess you can do it. Yeah, like, yeah, I, you can make that happen. I, I don't know how any person would do that, but I know you can. And he said, would you bear the reproach of believing that? And I said, sure. He said, that's what's available for America right now. And that is what we're contending for. That's what we're working towards. And that what we have ahead of us is better than before. And so I am, uh, that's what I'm doing. It's what we're trying to do uh, as only one piece of the puzzle, not the whole piece. Uh, we are not going to reach America with pride. That's a great sin of the, of the nation. It's like throwing more fire into a erupting volcano. It, it's, it's not going to work. So it's going to come through humility. It's going to come through brokenness and it's going to come through unity which is the the subject of my my chat tonight how am i doing jonathan i, I just need some encouragement i just need affirmation. there we go i just i'm feeling the love um so as we talk tonight i have spent from 2017 to 20 to the end of 2020 i've spent every day meditating on john 17 
It's not because I'm super spiritual, because every time I open my Bible, the Holy Spirit would say, John 17, John 17, John 17. And I would just say, okay, fine, John 17. I'd be like, hey, what about John 12? No, 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 John 17. So for the last, you know, for about three years, I spent time literally for months meditating on one verse. So I'm not going to be able to unpack all of that for you tonight, but I'm going to dive into a couple of things. And this is not... If it's not very inspiring or insightful, it's going to be really demoralizing to me. So don't tell me. Just, just act like this is really insightful, because otherwise I don't know what I got. But my conclusion at the end of those three years is that I literally understand a smidgen of what's going on. And that's because we're only listening to one side of a conversation of two eternal beings that have an unlimited amount of context to their conversation. So Jonathan and I, we've had a friendship for a little while now, and we have some inside jokes. Jonathan and I, I like his humor. We both have this awkward humor thing going. And we, and we have some context. So I could say a couple of things that none of you means it, nothing to you, but Jonathan would go, oh, and we kind of laugh and we have a shared experience. So we have the father and we have the son, and they have an unlimited amount of them, right? They have just thousands of years, whatever, like whatever that is of context. And we're hearing one half of a conversation. Jesus talks about a glory that he had before the world was, right? They're the only people that know what that is, right? So like we could kind of imagine or kind of hope, whatever, literally they're the only two in the Holy Spirit that actually know whatever it is that he just talked about. We can hear the words, but they share in that experience. And so I'm going to attempt to dive into some things that really stirred me about unity and about the what I believe is biblical unity versus what we often get. When Jesus prays in verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I think it's fascinating to me that in a chapter where Jesus is praying for his disciples and the, their followers and the people who believe through their message for unity, what's fascinating about me, about this whole thing, is that in verse 1, it says he looks up to start the chapter. I spent so much time just thinking about that, that as he's saying this prayer, he's not looking at his disciples. He's actually looking upwards. And man, I just thought to myself, I'm like, do I pray wrong? I'm like, you got the God himself praying and he starts his prayer by staring up into the sky. And I wondered, I'm like, how often do I even do that? Like, I don't stare upwards into the sky while I pray. I'm often maybe closing my eyes or looking at other things. But I think it's, it's, it's powerful that as he's about to pray for his disciples, his very posture is indicating that there is no human and earthly way to unify people apart from heaven and apart from this eternal perspective. So he's fixed his eyes on the Father, which is the only source of unity, and that these divisions that have plagued us since Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, that there is no human solution. There is no way 
that outside of aligning ourselves vertically, that we are going to accomplish horizontal unity. Um, there is a group of people that have been meeting for unity in their city for 30 years. And that city's probably more divided than it was 30 years ago. So obviously, just by meeting together and trying to like work out our differences is not enough. That is not going to get it done. Compromise is not the true expression of biblical unity. True unity only comes through surrender, through taking our eyes off ourselves, taking our eyes off of what we're trying to do, and focusing on Jesus and what he, who he is. And, and, and that's the only way to get real biblical unity. In that same verse, uh, verse 1, he says, the fa Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. I think it's so important that we understand that true biblical unity is all about glorifying God, not just about making friends or having people like us or being able to talk about the cool network we have and a lot of people that are in it. It is the end of our unity is not ourselves, but the end of our unity is glorifying the Father. And if that's not the goal, then I would say it's not true biblical unity. I think it's interesting as Jesus refers to they over and over and over again in this chapter, like over and over and over again, it's they. So I'm just going to throw out some description as to who this they is. Because when we think about unity, and when I think about unity, I do not think about unifying with everybody. I don't want to be unified with somebody who's anti-Christ. I don't want to be unified with somebody that's not about the Father's mission, about the thing that Jesus commanded us to go do. I, I have no interest in unifying with people that are not unified with the Father. And I think that's okay. It kind of offends maybe some people, but I'm okay with that. I think this is, I don't think Jesus was looking to be unified with all these people that he was interacting with. I, don't, I think he was more interested in what is the Father doing and following that, and then unifying with the people who were following that same thing. And I think that's so indi an indication that we're careful with who we unify with. So it's interesting because God is saying, I want them to be one. But I want you to know is the them is what he spends time on in this chapter. He's not talking about everyone. He's talking about a particular group of people. So it's interesting. In verse three, he says that they may know you. What a great first condition in a sense. Like, do you know Jesus? Are you living for God? Are you following him? I think, you know, we, we have this, um, uh, you know, this cultural Christianity where everybody's a Christian, right? But I think it's so interesting is that Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit, right? So when we say, well, man, I just, I, I know God, but we live like the devil, well, we, we have a problem. I, I think just because somebody calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean we're supposed to align with them and that we're supposed to partner with them. So we want to align ourselves with people who really love Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we just write off everybody, like we're not trying to reach people, but I'm talking about the people we partner with. We're going to collaborate and go together into battle 
there, there's some things I really want to, I want to contend for in their life. And I want to make sure that we're going to get in there and they're not going to turn around and stab me in the back. Uh, as, as one leader here in Kansas city said, we got all these unity movements and they want me to spend the next 10 years getting to know them. I don't want to, at the end of 10 years, realize they're going a completely different direction and they have no interest in making disciples who make disciples and go and, and in the end, I'm going to, he goes, I just don't have the time left. I can't invest another 10 years into somebody who's not heading the same direction. I think there's something interesting here where he says in verse six, I've manifested your name to the men who you gave me. I think this is so fascinating because I have been in calls and meet and meeting people where it's like in a moment, I trust them. And I know that God is calling me by his spirit to align with them. And we're going to run together. It's amazing. It's almost instantaneous because it's not based on my ability to try to figure out who they are over the course of the next 15 years. It's that the spirit of God is witnessing that we are meant to connect and meant to be together. And I think there's a level where God gives us people. And I think about that with, this, with the disciples. And I think about that with the people in my life. I'm like, God, who have you given me? It's so much better to choose our friends around the call of God and the assignment that God's calling us to these people than who makes me feel good. Or who, you know, sometimes we choose our friends of who makes us feel more spiritual because they're a mess. You know, uh, I have some friends that make me feel like I'm unsaved and I don't like hanging out with them, to be honest, because every time I'm around them, I think these guys are awesome. I'm horrible. And I just, you know, I'm like, who wants to who can I go disciple or go invest in? Right. You know, but it's like, no, God's assigned me to people. And I think that's so important. And so when we're talking about unity, we have to know that unity is going to have to be fought for for the people that God assigns you to. They kept your word. I think in verse six, again, this is so important. Do they keep the word of the Lord? Do they contend for it? Are they faithful to the word of the Lord? Verse seven, they know that everything you have given me is from you. Now he's talking about the very words of God, which are so much more important than our earthly stuff. But just even thinking, it's like, are they after money? Are they after success? Are they after worldly things? Is that the, the fullness of who they are? If that's their ambition, I would not unify with them. They, they're, again, they're just understanding of who Jesus is in verse eight is so important. If we jump down to verse 13, it says that they may have my joy made full in themselves. You know, I just think that's something that I am like, there's enough negative people in the world. And I'm just decided I'm going to get more joyful as I get older. I don't even know how to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. Because I want to be in my 70s, in my 80s, singing and not complaining. I want to figure this out. I want to, and I, I want to, and I've, I've been mentored by people who do this. And I'm just like, I want to operate in the joy of the Lord. I do not want to unify myself with someone who's going to just make me angry all the time. That's why I don't listen to political radio. But I just, I can't surround myself with people that aren't getting their perspective from heaven. I call them realists. 
And if they're not getting their perspective from heaven, I just, it's so hard for me to align with them because I think we're going to constantly be, you know, I, I, I'm, I was negative. I go in the prayer room, I come out optimistic about America. I can't have somebody who I'm constantly running with who's just negative all the time. That's not going to work. Here's another one, 14, that the world has hated them. When's the last time we've chosen our relationship based on how much the world hates them? You know, that's an interesting conflict. Do I, am I looking for those who are popular and are, are well accepted and well spoken of, or am I looking for people who are willing to contend for something that's unpopular? Again, verse 17, sanctify them in truth. You know, man, I just think of this, this, the teachability. Am I surrounding myself with people who are teachable? Um, the word of God says, he who loves reproof is wise. And he, and he who hates correction is stupid, right? It's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. And so if you want to find out how wise somebody is, rebuke them, correct them. Wouldn't that be a great leadership qualification in America that we just say, hey, let's find out, you know, this guy's wisdom. Let's rebuke him. Uh, my friend of mine, he, my mentor, used to always say, never trust a man who can't be rebuked by his wife. I think that's brilliant. I think it's so true. But that's not what we what we get on our qualifications list for our uh, our, our pulpit, you know, filling committees. It's usually do they have a cool accent? And do they are they good at memorization and rhetoric? But I I, I think there we should include some rebukes in there and just see what see what happens. Um, but again, I think this idea of the sanctification process. It says uh, down below. It says perfected in unity. Man, contending for unity is such a perfecting process, right? Because it is going to expose so many things. I'll just tell you this. I had someone who full on betrayed me. They, they took something that we were working on and literally just sabotaged it. Our, the, 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 there were finances involved. There were, you know, reputations just absolutely submarined the whole work and just grounded it that we had contended for for so long and just dismantled the whole thing. And afterwards, I was so, felt so betrayed and I was challenged by the Lord in that moment. He's like, how are you when you're betrayed? I'm like, I'm not very good at it. And he's like, I want you to know they did what they did because they actually thought it was good. They actually weren't trying to harm you. They were just doing what they thought it was right. And I want you to forgive them. And I want you to love them. And I actually want you to be their friend. And I was like, okay, fine. And I called them and spent time with them and connected with them. And I'm still good friends because you know what? The kingdom of God required our cooperation and partnership more than my ego required to be stroked. And I knew that God's purpose in the region we were working in would have required it. It would have been such a detriment if we didn't stay in relationship. But so often we're just committed to our rights, you know? not knowing that the only right that we've earned is to be burned forever in eternal hell. I'll just let that one sink in a little bit. I love our American rights. We've got to fight for those rights. Right? But the only right we're promised in scripture is to burn in hell. 
That's the only thing I earned. That's the only thing that I'm like, I got that. That was, I earned this. And so if that's the case, then I have no rights. And I just think if we're going to contend for unity, we have to be unoffendable. And as he says in the end, that the love which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And there's just no way to accomplish biblical unity without abiding in this Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I think as I close, you know, when he says that he wanted us to be one as we are one, as he says that in verse 11, I think it's fascinating. It's like, well, how are they one? Well, they're one as a father and as a son and as a spirit. And, you know, as this uh, anthropomorphic expression of God, he's the best at describing himself, right? If there was a better term we could use to describe him, he would have he created the institution and then called himself it, right? So how is the father one? The father is one as a family. And I think that, you know, two-thirds of the Godhead to try to explain this infinite being is a father and son. It's a family term. And I was just at the uh, state gathering for the Assemblies of God in Kansas that are all coming together with Southern Baptists and Foursquare and Church of God in Christ and Nazarene. And all these guys are coming together for the Great Commission in Kansas. Who would have thought about that? But as I'm, as I'm, I'm sharing with them, I'm saying, you know, we talk about partnership. We talk about collaboration because we're so weak and because our organizational constructs are not mature enough to enter into the terminology of scripture, which is co-heirs, which is family, right? So we're kind of like inching our way towards this idea of we're, we're like constrained by this, you know, this earthly kingdom that we've been creating and we're inching our way towards family. But the problem is the way people view family is control and that that's what they're afraid of. And so I think as we try to operate in this season, I think it's just so important we get a revelation of the Father and his love for us. We get a revelation of Jesus and his beauty. We get a revelation of the Spirit of God and that love relationship that, that, that we somehow in some crazy mystery get to get to kind of be in, to, in between, right? This love fest between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that we can, in that place, truly love one another well and reflect his glory by finishing the work that he gave us to do here on this earth, which is the Great Commission. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for just your goodness. Thank you for you. We're just so weak, so broken, so humble. We get so full of ourselves and we forget where we came from. Start comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, Father, when the author and perfecter of our faith is you. And so we fix our eyes on you, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father that we would consider this, that we would not grow weary and lose heart. And so, Jesus, we're just so thankful for your model. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your invitation that as we dive deep into this, this intimate friendship with you, that the collateral effect will be deep 
intimate, wholehearted, mutual pursuit relationships with one another to the point that we would lay down our lives for our brother and sister, that we would harm ourselves for the benefit of those around us. We don't know this very often. We don't see this, God, and the world is looking for it. Father, we pray for your church. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. We pray for America. God, as you humble America and bring it to its knees and bring the church to its knees, God, we say, come, Lord Jesus, more, Lord Jesus. Shake what can be shaken so that what is unshakable remains. That your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That your kingdom will come that is not a kingdom of this world. Lest we'd be storming the wrong gates in this season. We want to be heavenly minded in this season. Help us to catch the news that can only be gotten in the closet of prayer, in that secret place of listening to your voice. Help us from moving into the fear of man, which is a trap and a snare, but help us to move only by the fear of God. Don't let the devil move us in this hour, but that we would be moved by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Give us the fear of God in this that we would be with. Amen.